I don't know if you've enjoyed going through the New Testament like I have, and then also going through the Old Testament. As Ed said, uh, we're going to look at the letters to the churches today, and I want to go there, but before we do, we went through the Old Testament earlier this year, and the whole of these series as a response to the survey we took in our church a few years ago, where so many in our church family asked, could you help us understand the Bible better? And that was one of the predominant things that came out of that survey that we need to, people don't understand this book, it's the best-selling book of all time, and we need to help people understand it. And so before we look at the letters to the churches, as Ed talked about that, I want to go back to the very beginning of the Bible, what we did earlier this year, and we started in the book of Genesis. And in the book of Genesis, we see God, the creator of all things, who always was, he's the uncreated being, he's always been there, and he creates the world and spins the world into existence. And that's how this book starts. In the beginning, God created. And so, and he creates the earth, the sky, the seas, and then he creates man and woman in his image. And they're in harmony with God, walking in the cool of the day. They have this peace with God, this fellowship with God. And God told them they should not eat from one tree in the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when they eat of it, they will surely die. And of course we read in Genesis chapter 2 that they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we call this theologically, well I better draw that line somewhere else I guess from here. We call this theologically the fall into sin. And we call this the fall of man. Not because he physically fell, but because man fell away from the presence of God because of sin. And so he was separated from God by sin. And for all have sinned and fall short of what God intended for us. God was so grieved then that he made man because man turned away from him. And the Bible says then in the book of Genesis, every inclination in man's heart was only evil all the time. And so this saddened God deeply. And he decided he was going to then wipe out his created beings, and start over. And so he found Noah. And many of us know this story, but this is a story of the Bible. He found Noah and his family to be righteous in his eyes. He sustained them through a worldwide flood. And then he started uh, humanity over again through Noah. And then he picked Abraham to then become a people, to be the father of his people, the father of many nations, And then we have the patriarchs, which we looked at. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, who were God's uh, chosen leaders of his initial part of his family that he was going to teach how to live in harmony with him after the fall, with the presence of sin in our lives. And so this is happening through the Old Testament. And then there comes this period where after Joseph, they're living in Egypt, And there's a Pharaoh there who forgets all about God's people, forgets about Joseph, and all of God's people become enslaved by the Egyptians, and they're owned by the Egyptians, and God becomes grieved for their condition, and he sends Moses, sort of a Christ-like figure, to free the Israelites from the Egyptians. He does so, whatever's necessary to get the Israelites freed, moves them into the desert. For 40 years there, they lack the faith to move into the Promised Land, but finally they get into the Promised Land. And then you have God teaching them how to live 
through the judges, and then they ask for a king and the prophets, and all of this unpacks through the Old Testament where God's people are. And then God is silent for 400 years. And there is just a a gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament of 400 years. And then we get to the New Testament. And that's where we're at the Gospels. The Gospels, the word gospel means good news. And as Ed said in the video, and we've been going through, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the recorded Gospels written about Jesus' life, And then you get to the book of Acts, which we looked at last week in here. And the Acts of the Apostles, especially about Apostle Paul. Paul is this one who was a persecutor of those that believed in Jesus. Those that were around him saw him crucified. They saw him resurrected. They became believers telling the good news. Paul persecuted them. He murdered many of them. Was very hostile towards them. The living Christ appeared to him on the road to Damascus. He was converted by the living Christ, and he then became one sent by God to be a missionary, as Ed said, from beyond the Jews to the Gentiles. And he traveled all over much of the known world at that time, sharing the good news about Jesus and and telling the story of the, the very ones that he had persecuted. And that's where we get these letters. And in the letters, there's really two themes, and, and Ed mentioned this in the video. There is uh, the writings about clarifying what has really happened to us in the good news of Jesus when we believe. And then there's the clarification then of what is an appropriate response for how we should live uh, in response to what has happened to us in the good news of Jesus. What I want to do today is I want to look at how Paul expounds on what has happened to us in the good news when he writes to the uh, those in Ephesus in Asia. And it's in the book of Ephesians. And I just want to take the very first part of this. I want to say a couple things about those in Ephesus first. Ephesus was a hub that uh, Paul had visited. It was right on Asia. And he could you could go there by boat. It was a port city. So there were many people. You, you might liken it to Seattle or some port city on the East Coast where people from all over the world will come They will reside there. There was sort of worldwide trade that would happen there. And so it was a very eclectic group of people. And when Paul went there, a few became believers right away. And then it took a long time for others to become believers. They were very spiritual people. There were spiritualities from all over the known world. And there was much of the trade was built on spirituality where they would build man-made idols and sell them to people who visited Ephesus because of the known God there and the the different known gods. And so much of the money, the market, the economic system was sustained by the spirituality of that area. And so Paul writes to them uh, after he's been there, there's a number of believers there and he's going to clarify for them what happened to us in Jesus. And I'll just begin reading Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he begins, and it's it's in verse 3 in our Bible, and this was, of course, a letter written, as Edith said, verse 3 through 14, and he really never takes a breath. It's one sentence in the original text, and there's no way English could translate this. We had to break it up into sentences. But what Paul does is he expounds on what has happened to us 
in Christ. And he's writing this to a spiritual people. You need to understand this. And so there's all kinds of spiritual ideologies floating around in Ephesus. And they come in and they sort of corrupt the pure thinking of what what Paul had taught them before. And so now he reiterates it. And I think he gets so excited as he reiterates it. He just can't stop. And so... Uh, 3 through 14, he just never stops. And so I'm not going to read it just like that because it's exhausting to read it just like that. But I'll, I'll read just a few verses and then we'll, we'll comment on them. Praise be to the God and Father, he says, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So first of all, he simply says, let's praise God. I'm praising God. For he has blessed us in Christ, and this word in Christ, he'll use it again and again and again, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. I don't know what that means. I've read that many times over the years. And I've said, thank you, God, whatever that means. You've blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. These were spiritual people. Paul didn't have to convince them that there was a spirit world. He just simply said, we have in Christ been blessed with every spiritual blessing that exists in the heavenlies. It's huge. It's it's monumental. That would have been exciting to them. Every spiritual blessing. And then in Christ, we knew Jesus and they knew Jesus was uh, a Lord, they knew him as a teacher, we might know him as Savior, and we might know him as these things, but Paul says when we become believers, we become a part of him. And so we're in him. And so Paul uses this terminology in Christ. And then he continues, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons, daughters, his children, through Jesus Christ, in accordance with the pleasure of his will. So two things Paul says here. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, and he's declared us holy and blameless in God's sight, as we're in Christ, holy and blameless. And then he says he's adopted us, as his sons, as his daughters, as his children. There is this idea that goes around in many spiritual sections of our world. Much of the world is like Ephesus now because it's a small world and there's lots of communication and we we learn about spiritualities from all over the world. And there's this idea that everyone who lives is a child of God's. But when you read through the Scriptures, you see, it's just not true. The Bible clearly tells us God creates everyone. But there's this delineation, and Paul makes it here. He's blessed us, he's writing to the believers, and he says to the believers, we're the ones blessed with all of the blessings in the heavenlies. We're the ones, he says, who God sees as holy and blameless in his sight, we're the ones, he says, who have been adopted as the sons, as the children of God. Jesus taught there are children of darkness, children of the evil one, and there are children of God. 
And when you're around spiritual environments where there's lots of spirituality going on, there's this sort of sense that we're all just children of God. We're all on the same path towards God. We're all spiritually seeking the same thing. But Paul writing to the believer says, now in Christ, he says, we're the ones that God looks down and he sees us as holy and blameless. We're the ones who have been adopted as his children. That means there are some who aren't. And we need to understand this. Not everyone is a child of God's. Everyone is a creation of God. Jesus said, if you want to be a part of the family of God or the kingdom of God, you you aren't just born once in water. That's not enough. Everyone is born once as a created being. But he said, you must be born again of the Spirit to be a part of the eternal family of God. And so Paul, he's so excited writing to the Ephesians who experience all this spirituality saying, now do you understand? In Christ, before God, you're holy and blameless. In Him, you've been adopted as a son or a daughter of His. And then he goes on to explain how this happened. And this, for me, is where it gets even more exciting. I'm going to go to verse 7. He says, to the praise of His name. And then he says, verse 7, how did this happen? In Him, he says, in Christ, when we're placed in Him as a part of Him, as a part of His body in the world today, through believing on His name, in Him we have, and you have this word, redemption. In Him we have redemption. I drew this picture here. God in, we are in harmony with God in creation, and then we, we experience the fall because we eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and, and sometimes people have believing, trouble believing in spirituality, and I would say, you know, if you, if you have a sense of evil, then you can believe in the spiritual. You know, I as a parent sometimes worry about the future for my children because intrinsically I know it's a hostile world. The presence of evil is there. We lock our doors. We lock our car doors because we know there's the presence of evil in our world. We have a lack of trust in our hearts sometimes. We enter certain environments and we're afraid because we know of the presence of evil. The evil is there because man is separated from God and we've fallen into sin. But in him, Paul writes here, we have redemption. Now, we kind of understand what that word redemption is in our culture. Mostly it was used in the Bible, and I I went through the Old Testament simply for this. Mostly the word redemption in the Bible is used for that time when God's people were enslaved by the Egyptians, and God sent Moses to them, and he redeemed them through Moses. It was a precursor pointing to what was ahead. And that's when redemption happened, according to the Scriptures in the Old Testament. And what happened there was God made a transaction with Pharaoh. He did everything that was necessary to, f- to free his people from Pharaoh. And he took them away from Pharaoh. I think we might understand redemption a little clearer when we think about bottling companies. We have Coke and we have Pepsi and we have Anheuser-Busch and these, all these different kinds of bottling companies. And when a bottling company produces a can, they own the can, but then they put their product in the can And then they sell the whole works. And so someone buys the whole works. They buy a a can of Coke or a can of Budweiser or whatever. They drink the product. And then there's the can left over. And I know from walking around, you know, jogging on our road, a lot of people just simply throw those cans out in the 
roadside. My wife in her store, a lot of people drink pop and, and then they'll put those cans in a recycling can. And, and so what I'll do is I'll pick up some of these cans on the roadside and my wife will bring those from the store and we have a big recycling box. And every once in a while, I'll take those cans that are no longer being used for what they were created for. I'll take them to the redemption center because the bottling companies have said, we want the cans back. We'll reuse the cans. We will pay something for those cans. And so we take them to the redemption center and I've talked to the redemption center. They pay us a certain amount and then the bottling companies pay them a certain amount and they have a, make a little profit on the transaction. And then the bottling companies get these cans back and then they retool them and reuse them for what they were initially created for. We call that redemption. Paul said to the Ephesians, in Christ we have redemption. What he's saying is, We were created to be in harmony with God. The very purpose for which we were created was to glorify Him and give thanks to Him and praise Him and honor Him with our lives. But we fell away into sin. And we were separated from God. He let us go. But He wanted us back. And so He sustained Noah. And then He sustained Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and His people. And then... He simply said, sin separates you know, you from me. Romans 6.23, the wage of sin is death. We die because of sin. And he said the wage has to be paid somehow. So all through the Old Testament, God said, if you want to walk right with me, here's what you need to do. You need to find some of your best lambs. Or if you don't have lambs, doves or goats or cattle, or whatever. And you need to bring them to the altar, and we're going to put the wage for sin on them for a time, so that you can be my people. I don't know why he wired it up this way. This is how he wrote the rules. But he said, Hebrews 9.22, after the wage of sin is death, he said, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And this is how God designed it. And so we would... Our sins would be washed or cleansed through blood. This had to be gruesome. And we don't experience this much anymore. When I used to raise hogs, sometimes I would uh, sell a hog to an individual. And there are some individuals who would come buy a hog and they would butcher that hog right there outside of the pen. And that was very common back in Old Testament times. I just toured Tyson not long ago. And I can tell you this kind of thing still happens in our world today. Many animals are slaughtered. There's lots of blood. It's, it's, it's interesting to see. In the Old Testament, if you were to think of thousands upon thousands upon thousands, year after year after year, lambs, sheep, goats, doves, cattle, sacrificed on an altar... Because the wage of sin, what separates us from God, is death. And so there had to be death to pay the wage, death to pay the wage, death to pay the wage. And the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins, so God's people could walk in harmony with Him and and have this hope of redemption. 
And they were always looking forward because God said, at some point I'm going to send a Messiah. I'm going to send a Savior once and for all. And this is why we say all of the Old Testament points towards the New Testament and points towards the Gospels. Because at the Gospels is where the Messiah arrived. Hope came among us. Jesus was here. And then when you get into the letters to the churches, Paul is trying to clarify, do you understand what happened to us in Jesus? In Jesus, we were declared holy and blameless before God. It's in Him we're adopted as children of God. In Him we have redemption. There's a transaction that goes on. Those of us that were separated from God are now redeemed back by God as His children for the very purpose for which we were created. Paul is so excited he can't stop. You see, this is just powerful. There's no other, there's no better news in the universe. Humanity's greatest problem is sin. And it's in Jesus that God deals with humanity's greatest problems. We have all kinds of problems. We have economic problems, we have marriage problems, we have, we have disease problems, we have sickness problems, we have the problem of death. But these are all flea bites, these are all warts on the problem of sin. It's sin that brought death and sickness and corruption into our world. And God wants to deal with the core problem. And so he says, in him we have redemption, which is the redeeming back. There's the price paid for our sin, the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And when John the Baptist, who was preparing the way for Jesus, saw him in the desert, he said, look. And it's very significant what he said. He said, look, think of the Old Testament. They would have known what this meant. Look, they'd sacrifice hundreds of thousands of millions of lambs on the altar for their sin. And John the Baptist said, look. And all of the Jews would have looked and he would have said, the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. Who what? Takes away humanity's greatest problem. The sin that separates us from God. This is our hope. If anyone promises you hope in our world, and it doesn't include at the center of that hope, the living Christ, be very wary. It's in Him We have redemption. Through His blood, the forgiveness of His sins. That's not it. Paul goes on for another seven verses. I'm going to skip down to 13. And then he says this, which is, this transaction happens through the blood of Jesus. Uh, He writes to the Corinthians, you are not your own You were purchased by the blood of Jesus. Therefore, honor God with your body. We are His children. You also, in verse 13, he says, were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. He says this, Having believed, you were marked in Him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. When my dad and I used to sort hogs for market, he had a marker. And before we would sort them, he would walk through the pen and he would mark the ones he wanted 
for that day to be sold. Paul is simply saying here, God has marked us. When we believe in the gospel of our salvation, we're marked with a seal. Sealed. I love this. The promised Holy Spirit. And then he says in verse 14, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance to come. Remember when he said he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies? We don't experience all that yet because we're not in the heavenlies totally. And so we're waiting for this total inheritance that is yet to come. Sometimes someone will come and shop at my wife's store and they'll find something they want, but for one reason or another they can't bring it home yet. It doesn't fit in their car, or they want to come back and do some other shopping, get a few more things, or the time's not right yet, they don't have the room ready for what they've bought. And so what they'll do is they'll put down a deposit, or they'll pay for that item. And then my wife had to learn this the hard way. She needs to write out a little sold sign and put it on that item. Otherwise, one of her workers may sell that item to someone else, and then you have this tension on your hands. And then we, so, what she does now, when someone gives a deposit or pays for that item but doesn't take it, they've said that we secure it as theirs and put a sold sign on it. Get this now. God said, I've purchased you. I've redeemed you. I've bought you back for the very purpose for which I created. You are now my son or daughter. And so now I'm going to seal you as my own. And this is, you know, when my wife married me, I mean, she's blessed me in so many ways. She serves our family. I can't tell you how many meals she's blessed me with. And serves around our home and picks up things and when I sometimes putting my laundry in, you know, it's all folded and I'm putting it back in the dresser, I just like, God, this is so nice. And, but you know the biggest way my wife has blessed me? All these things, and I, I'm thankful. But when she married me, what she said was, Tim, I'm giving you myself. And I gave her myself. You see, and and we became one. And listen to what God does here. Having believed, I'm going to mark you as my own. I'm going to seal you as my own. I'm going to give you a deposit. You know what the deposit is? A bit of himself. placed right in the center of our spirit. And then you know you're His. You see, because when you have a bit of God in you, His Spirit, when you do something wrong, it convicts you. And you say, oh yeah, I'm His. Or when you're wanting to grow and get to know Him more. His Spirit inspires you and it opens this Word to you. And when you hear this Word, it it stirs you within and you hunger to know Him better. And, And then you remember, oh yeah, that's a sign that I'm His. 
Because that's the deposit He's given me. And when you, when you're moved to pray for the salvation of others or for people who are struggling and the Spirit is moving you, that's a sign, oh yeah, I'm one of His. That's the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the full redemption of those who are His possession to the praise of His glory. Well, that's how Paul describes what has happened to us in Jesus when we believe in Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2, he simply says, Like the rest, we were at one time, by nature, objects of wrath, worthy of the wrath of God, not his children, children of darkness. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ Jesus, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace we have been saved. I say all this this morning for those of us that are believers, simply to remind us of what God has done for us in Christ. But more importantly, I say it for people who don't know whether they're right with God. Because the world will tell you there's lots of pathways. And spiritual people all around are seeking God in the same way. And I would simply tell you that no matter how spiritual a person is, they will never make it to God. But God who is rich in mercy... sent His Son. And it's in Him that we have the redemption and the forgiveness of sins. And we become His eternal children. And if you've never opened your heart to the gift of Jesus, maybe this morning, just sitting in your seat, you could, with whatever faith you could muster, say, God, I open my heart to Jesus. I believe and I receive. And when a person does that, he will put as a deposit, as a seal, in your spirit a portion of himself, guaranteeing our inheritance to come. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for these letters that were written some 2,000 years ago, describing what happened when your son came and walked among us and what work he accomplished for us. I thank you for the redemption that we have through his shed blood and the price paid. We gather this morning to celebrate that. And Lord, I know that you're still waiting. You haven't brought about full redemption because you're still wanting others to come to a knowledge of the truth. And so I pray if there are any here this morning, as they're listening to this message about the good news of Jesus, pray that you would help them open their hearts to him and speak out and cry out to you for the salvation of their souls, the forgiveness of their sins, that they could as well be redeemed. In Christ's name we pray, amen.